Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 7, Telepractice. It's not just screen time. Welcome to the podcast mini-series, Telepractice, It's Not Just Screen Time, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. We are excited to be back for season two. Thanks for joining us for episode seven, Mindfulness and Self-Care for Telepractitioners. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I'm your host, Karine Hartunian-Kukayan. I've been a speech-language pathologist for over two decades, and I've worked in telepractice for the past 13 years, serving in both special education and healthcare. And here are our financial and non-financial disclosures for today. Uh, Karine Hartunian-Kukayon is the host of this podcast and receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com. She is also uh, currently working for a parallel as a regional manager, and um, she's also a sole proprietor. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is the current associate coordinator for ASHA SIG 18 in telepractice. Gila Cohen-Shaw receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode, and she is self-employed. And her non-financial disclosure is that she is a current member of SIG 18. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. Gila is a speech-language pathologist with a 30-year career dedicated to helping individuals communicate effectively. With a specialization in telepractice spanning 14 years, she has been at the forefront of leveraging technology to provide quality care remotely. Gila is a member of ASHA's Uh, Special Interest Group 18, and remains deeply engaged in the latest developments and practices within the field. Gila has successfully completed her 200-hour yoga teacher training and restorative yoga training and is currently pursuing certification as a mindful, self-compassion teacher through the esteemed Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, furthering her commitment to holistic well-being. All right, we're we're uh, really excited to have you here today, Gila. Thanks, and, um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And so I will go over our learner objectives uh, for today. By the end of the course, participants will be able to assess when it is time to implement the tools using two qualifying measures, Demonstrate two ways to incorporate mindfulness and self-preservation practices into professional and personal life. Identify two tools to utilize for mindfulness self-care. Now, before we dive into the course content, we would love to hear 
a bit about you and how your journey began as an SLP and how you came to telepractice. Sure. Thanks, Corrine. So um, my journey as, to be as becoming an SLP uh, is really interesting. I was actually in my senior year of undergraduate and already accepted to the School of Social Work. So I had a completely different path, um, but I had to take six credits to graduate. And I took a linguistics class and it completely changed the course of my life. I, I completely, I went, uh, I just was wowed by it. And so I went to the professor and I said, this is amazing. What can I do with it? Um, and he said, don't be a linguistics professor. And he then introduced me to uh, his neighbor, who was a speech language pathologist who I followed around. And I just pivoted to going into speech pathology as opposed to social work. So that was a, a real interesting change. Uh, in terms of telepractice, I was working in New York City uh, as a provider of service, mostly doing evaluations, and I was extraordinarily burnt out, um, both physically, mentally. I had a huge caseload. I was traveling a lot, um, and I was really ready to give up my, my career and do something completely different. I actually don't know what that would have been. Um, and I got a cold call to go into telepractice. Would I be interested? Sort of the timing was perfect. Um, and I was willing to take a chance. My feeling was, sure, I'm not really sure what this is. This was 14 years ago, but I will try it. If I don't like it, it's okay. I don't have to do it anymore. And here I am. I haven't turned back. Very, very nice. Um, uh, I also wanted to add in addition to that, um, how you started your journey with mindfulness. That's a great question. Um, I started my journey with mindfulness uh, pre-COVID, and I'm very grateful because I think it helps me get through that time. Um, really had to do, with, quite honestly, with grief. Um, my dad had passed away. My stepmom had passed away. And I felt myself not being myself, and I needed to do something to change that. And so I have two friends who are practitioners. One is a teacher of mindful self-compassion. And that's how, really how I got into it. And that was also a life changer for me. And how wonderful that you had that um, throughout the pandemic as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so let's, uh, without further ado, dig in here. Um, so let's first start with what are some of the challenges you've faced as a telepractitioner working from home? Huh. Um. It was a real change because I, you know, my kids were younger when I started and were living at home and I've always had dogs. So things that I never had to think about, like, you know, a an actual space where I was working, where nobody was woofing or, you know, coming in and disturbing me. That was that was very unusual. That was a very big change. Um, and the other change, which was very interesting, was the concept that working from home to others, meaning perhaps neighbors or, you know, other folks that I wasn't working, like working from home at the time meant I wasn't working. So I remember at the time I had a neighbor who said, you know, so you're not working, you can take the kids off the bus when I was very much working. So that, that was really a challenge for me. And, uh, and tell us how you went about, um, working through those challenges. How, how did working in, um, a school setting, for example, differ from, uh, home and what were some of those challenges that you conquered by setting those boundaries? 
So when I was, I remember working in the school, my day would start out very, very differently. So I, you know, I remember, do I have my keys? Do I have my lunch? Did I feed my children? Did I feed my dogs? Um, so there's, there was this very high stress level. So if it was on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the highest stress, I was at a nine by seven o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, truly. And so I had to, when I changed to telepractice, that shifted very uh, quickly because I had almost two hours in the morning that all of a sudden were available to me. Um, I happened to be an early riser, which is to my benefit. So I started pushing, putting in yoga and meditation on a daily basis early in the, in the morning. So I would start my day at a, at a one or a two on the scale of stress. So that was a, a really large, uh, life change. What I found challenging though from working working from home was that I was actually physically moving less. Um, whereas when I was working in either in a school or even just going from I was working in early intervention in New York City. So I was going from home to home. I was physically moving, whereas at home I was not physically moving. Um, so I really had to purposefully and mindfully integrate movement into my day. And and that has become um, non-negotiable for me. It's an, it's not, it's a non-negotiable. It was negotiable for many years and it has over the past few years become non-negotiable for me. And I know our listeners are um, really interested to hear a little bit more about that. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, uh, why, uh, what are some of the different ways, um, that this is so crucial um, and, uh, tell us like, what are the implications, um, on physical, mental, um, mental health and other areas? So if you're, you know, if you're, um, just remaining static all the time and not moving, um, that really can be detrimental to your physical health. Prolonged sitting can lead to all sorts of musculoskeletal problems, back pain, reduce your circulation. So taking breaks and moving around really just promotes better health, both, phys both physical health. And taking those breaks, so if you move around, you're taking a break, also increases your mental health, uh, reduces stress, reduces burnout, it allows, and, and I mean, even for five minutes, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be an extended amount of time, just allows uh, just a mental clarity, a chance to reset um, and improve focus and productivity can really make a large change. And would you say that it could also enhance other areas that, you know, are not, are less obvious, let's say creativity or, you know, Absol other areas of cognition? Absolutely. I find that stepping away gives me a little bit more um, brain power to process information, maybe even differently than I was if I was sitting here. It gives me a sort of a different viewpoint. Um, and I know that can be, pro you know, a little count counterintuitive, right? That taking a break can boost your productivity if you're walking away, away from your work. Um, but it actually prevents mental fatigue. Um, for me, it helps me maintain a higher level of focus and I, I become more efficient. If I'm if I'm sort of at my desk and sludging through some piece of work, if I walk away from it and come back to it, I, I'm actually more effective and more productive. And I find myself struggling with this, even though um, I know the the truth. Um, I actually even was uh, struggling with it as recently as yesterday, where 
this tendency to, oh, if I can only just finish one more thing, this one more email, one more, um, one more sentence, one more this, one more that, and um, you're not getting it done. And you're just like feeding into this fatigue. And literally, you have to force force yourself away from the computer. And and it does make a big difference. It does indeed um, energize. So let's talk about some ways to, um, you know, to incorporate some of this. Um, If you have um, any ideas for us, uh, please, please share. Absolutely. And just so you know, I, you know, you just said that it was an issue for you just yesterday. I, I'm not still not perfect at it. And I never will be by any stretch of the imagination. So much so that I still set alarms. My, If you looked at my phone, I have about 11 alarms um, because the day can get away from me. You know, all of a sudden I've been here for four hours and I haven't moved. So I really have to set an alarm um, and I try to be very beholden to that alarm. So if I'm in the middle of an email, it can wait. It doesn't have to be sent right now. Whatever that five minute break, it's not gonna. It's not gonna make a difference. Um, so you know, breaks are really important um, physically. To I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting at my desk for a long period of time, I find myself sort of slumping over, um, which is not good for for my posture. It's not good for my health. It's not good for anybody's. Um, so. I do set my timer and I take breaks. It doesn't have to be elaborate. I can you can do simple stretches. You can do short walks. Even just standing up. If you're sitting, you can stand up. If you're someone who has a standing desk, you can sit down. Do you know? Do the do the reverse. Um, and again, it really does make a difference in terms of your well being and productivity. Um, and you can even do movement in your chair. So. Um, so you can interlace your palms and you can stretch them over your head. That's a really nice stretch. So uh, it's really to be for me to be to counteract that phys- physicality of slumping over. I'm trying to do the opposite. Um, I often will twist. I have a, a chair that moves, but I do spinal twists. So it sort of rings out my spine. Um, literally, I can just move my chair back and bend over to put sort of my head as far down as I can to the floor. Um, That gives space in your ribs, which allows for um, more capacity, lung capacity for breathing. And that's a very important thing to be doing. Um, If I'm sitting, I can put my ankle over, so my right ankle over my left knee, not your whole, not like you're crossing your leg, but just placing your ankle over your knee and that opens up your back. Um, again, folding over or standing up and just shaking your body is a, is a great movement. Well, those are really great tips. Um, what are some specific yoga poses? Let's talk about that. Um, what are some specific yoga poses that you practice on a regular basis, particularly when you have, um, a really short break? So again, um, my objective is to counteract that slumping, or maybe everybody doesn't do it, but I sure do over my desk. Or if I, even if I'm writing, or if I'm on, you know, on on a keyboard. Um, so I'm looking for back extension poses. Um, and this is this type of yoga for me when I'm doing it as a break is not active physicality yoga. It's really more of a of a stretching. Um, so it's really about rounding the other the other ways. So, Instead of forward, I'm going back. So some of the poses that I do, um, and and I 
if anyone's going to try these, I highly recommend if you are not someone who's familiar with yoga, go to a yoga class so that you can connect with someone to learn these poses. You can you can Google them. There are plenty of things that you will find on the internet. Um, but do it, do it with um, some mindfulness that you are aware of what you're doing so you don't hurt yourself. So one of the poses I do is um, a cobra pose. So that uh, I'm lying, I will lie down and I will sort of push my chest up. And it's again, you, it looks like I'm doing a back bend. Another one that I'll do, and these are mostly on the grounds, which is kind of nice. So I'm already out of my chair is a sphinx pose. So I'm putting my elbows down. So think of, if you think of looking at a sphinx on a picture of a pyramid, their, their hands are down, their arms are down and you're pushing up but your legs are back. Um, locust pose, you are on the ground and you gently lift your arms, your head and your legs. It's a really great stretch and a great elongation. Um, and bow pose is a, uh, a little bit longer of a locust pose where you're actually holding your, whatever, your pant legs. It could be your ankles. It could be your feet. Whatever you can grab onto as you're on your stomach to sort of stretch yourself out. Um, camel pose is really one of my favorite poses because it uh, stretches out your thighs. Um, so you would be standing on your knees and standing up and gently press yourself back is a camel pose. And my very, very favorite, I do it every day, is what's called fish pose. Um, and you're lying down, putting something, it could be a pillow, it could be a block, it could, it could really be a rolled up blanket or a rolled up towel underneath your shoulders um, so that you're raised. Uh, and again, you're you're lying down and that engages the muscles of your upper, upper back. That's really my favorite pose. Very nice. And what are some benefits that people can um, expect from these poses? The, so the benefits are both physical and for me, they're also mental and cognitive. So they're, you're moving your, and stretching your body. I know for me, if I just remain in one seated for the day, be it two hours, four hours, and if you blink, it's eight hours, um, my body hurts. I'm stiff. Um, my knees hurt from being in the same position. My neck hurts from being in the same position. Um, I kind of feel creaky, if you will. So doing these really helps stretch out your body and it, it, it in increases your serotonin level um, and decreases your cortisol level. And both of those really are scientifically proven to decrease your stress level. Very nice. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about guided meditation. Um, how has guided meditation helped you in your journey as a telepractitioner? And actually would love to also hear, um, like, how is guided meditation different than other types of meditation for those of us who might be less familiar? Awesome. Thanks. That's a great question. So I practice a very specific form of mindfulness meditation, which is called mindful self-compassion. It was developed by uh, Dr. Kristen Neff and Dr. Chris Germer, and it combines mindfulness and self-compassion to enhance your own personal emotional well-being and res resilience. And I'm studying to be a teacher under their program. Um, What's interesting about mindful self-compassion is so much of us as, as providers of service have a tremendous amount of compassion for others, right? So um, 
for we for the folks that we work with, for parents or guardians of of, stu- of students and kiddos that we work with, for staff who are so very overworked and trying to be supportive of us in our kiddos. So we have an abundance of compassion. Um, and we tend to have less compassion for ourselves. We're much harder on ourselves. So if somebody made a mistake, if someone sent an email with a typo in it, for example, and some and they said, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry, it, I, it wouldn't bother me as much as if I sent that email myself. So we offer others tremendous compassion, and we just don't do that enough for ourselves. And that's what this mindfulness, uh, this specific type of mindfulness is. Um, so in, so being mindful is to be conscious and aware and self-compassion is turning that compassion that I just know we all have in abundance to yourself. So if, uh, I offered you as, as someone that I know, and as a friend compassion in your life, I would be offering that myself. So treating myself with the same kindness and concern and support and worth, um, warmth when I'm struggling as I would naturally do that to somebody else, a little harder to do it for myself. Um, so that's what that connection is. Guided versus non-guided medica- meditation uh, is somebody's walking you through the meditation, is a guided meditation. I am just not there to yet to do a longer meditation that's not guided. So if you were doing your uh, meditation without guidance, you you would just be, you know, sitting somewhere or lying down, whatever your comfortable position is, um, really in a quiet place, no noise, eyes closed. I, I have, I'm working towards it. What I find is that I feel like I've done it for 30 minutes and I look at my watch and it's maybe it's a minute. So it's a much harder thing for me to do. If someone's guiding me through it, I have a, I have a longer period that I can last and sustain that. Thank you for uh, for explaining that. Um, so, um, would you mind guiding us to uh, through a short meditation? It would be my pleasure. Um, all right. I hope you all can find a comfortable and quiet place. You can sit down or you can lie down. Um, I recommend that you close your eyes, or if you prefer, to soften your gaze and find a focal point if you're not finding your eyes, meaning look at one place, don't have your eyes starting around. And let's begin by taking a few, what we call three-part breaths that allow your body to relax with each exhale. So let's do that together three times. So you inhale slowly through your nose and focus on breathing deep, deeply into your belly, filling up your belly. And then you can exhale. So you're going to fill up your belly, fill up your chest. You feel your rib cage expands. And then you can let that out either through your mouth or your nose, either one. So let's do that. That was one. Let's do that two more times. And inhale through your belly, your rib cage, and your chest. Fill up your lungs. And then you can just let that out through your mouth or your nose. And let's do that one more time. In through your nose. And out through your mouth or your nose. 
Now tune into the physical sensations in your body and notice any areas of tension or relaxation without trying to change anything. Just notice. And shift your attention to your breath. Feel the natural rhythm of your breath without changing it. And notice the sensations of the breath entering and leaving your body. Now think of a problem in your life that is causing you stress or distress. Something light, not too heavy. And visualize that situation in your mind. And just allow yourself to feel what it's like to have this problem. And acknowledge to yourself that this is a moment of stress and it's a moment of struggle. And use whatever words feel right for you to acknowledge and name this feeling. Give yourself that validation and say, this feels bad. This feels stressful. Um, and name that for yourself. Struggle and stress, stress are a part of everyone's life and living. And this is how it feels to be alive. And that you're not alone. Tell yourself, I am not alone. And acknowledge any discomfort or emotions that arise within you without any judgment. And offer yourself words of kindness and other understanding. So you might say silently to yourself or out loud, may I be kind to myself. May I treat myself as I would a good friend. I believe in you. I know that I can do it. So think about words you would offer to a friend for encouragement and offer those words to yourself and allow them to resonate within you and recognize that challenges and difficulties are a common part of a human experience. You are not alone in these feelings. Many people feel the same way. And now gradually bring your awareness back to your surroundings. Notice the support of the ground beneath you if you're lying down or if you're sitting on the chair beneath you. And take a few deep breaths as we did in the beginning before you slowly open your eyes if they were closed. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. We're all in a little bit um, more <laughs> peaceful space place, I think, after the hustle and bustle of the day. Hope so. Um, wanted to ask you where somebody could access some guided meditations. That's a great question. There's really no shortage. Um, there are a number of apps. I happen to use an app called Insight Timer. Um, there's Calm. The, the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion has a website that has a number of uh, guided meditation. So that's center for msc.org. Um, and I believe Headspace is also an app. So there's four, there's four just off the top of my head, but there's no shortage of uh, apps to be able to do this. And they all offer a free version. So you don't, you don't have to buy the premium, most expensive version. They all offer a free version. That's really uh, a good tip. Yeah. Um, and typically we do take questions uh, at the end, but there is one that came in that's pertinent. Um, do you have any recommendations for websites for yoga poses just to have that visual as well? I 
I, to be honest, I don't, but it is a great idea to get it. I would literally Google it. I would Google it. I do. Uh, it's not a practice that I use, but I know folks who use um, yoga with Adrian, who does, I think she has a, a, a an entire library at your fingertips. It's not something I use, but I do know folks who use that. Great question. I've actually worked with her too <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, there are actually quite a few of them. And um, I I think it's a good idea, especially to be cautious because it does involve some more physical, um, physical work there. Yes, yes. Um, But uh, would love to continue discussing a little bit more about how to incorporate this into the professional day, because I know we all struggle with that. Um, how many breaks do you recommend and how often do you take breaks in order to be successful in this practice? No, um, this is a great question. And as I answer it, it's going to sound as if I've been doing this for 14 years and that would not be true. This has been a process for me. So I just want folks to know you can start very small and build up. Um, again, as I shared, I can sit at my desk. If I do not set a timer, then i the, literally, I'm. It's eight hours later. I just don't know how that happens. I set a timer. Um, you know, I look at my calendar, and I also put it in my calendar, just like I would an IEP meeting. Just as I would, um, uh, these are the students that I'm going to see. These are the kiddos that I'm going to evaluate. Whatever, whatever that case is, that's how much of a priority it is to me that I put my break time in my calendar on a daily basis. It's almost sacred to me. Um, so I do it two times a day. Um, I take two larger breaks. So I, and then it's not long. I'll take a walk either 10 or 15 minutes a day. And I do it no matter what the weather is. I currently live in Maine. Um, it's 27 degrees today. And we, I took my 10, it it wasn't 15 minutes. Um, and I, I go with my spouse who also works from home. Um, and we take the dogs and it, this is, that we all go together is new as of this uh, this year. Um, and it took about a month to develop that habit. And I actually had to go old school and print something out because they do say it takes 21 days to create a habit. And I really had to like, with my marker, I really went old school and made circles that we did it every day. So I take two breaks a day. Um, that's one 10 to 15 minute walk outside. The benefits of being outside are tremendous. Just, you know, vitamin D, um, you know, being with nature. So it could really be a game changer um, in terms of your own cognition. The other thing I do is I will take another, it could be five minutes or to 10 minutes, uh, a break where I will do some guided meditation. I will usually pair that with one or two poses. So while I'm doing the meditation, I might be in sphinx pose or I might be in fish pose. So I sort of combine those together. Um, But it is, I put it on my calendar so that it happens and I set a timer. And that's after years of doing this, I need that kind of support for myself. I, I love that. And that is such practical um, advice. And I actually did not realize it's 21 days. So that's what um, they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've actually done that very mindfully, so to speak, but I will definitely try that moving forward. Awesome. Um, tell us, please, what are some of the downsides or negatives to not taking breaks? So after taking breaks for, for as, as often as I have, 
um, particularly in the last two years, it's really been a solidified practice for me. It's very clear to me what the downsides are. Um, fatigue. I am exhausted by the end of the day if I don't take breaks again. Counter, that might seem counterintuitive, but I'm just fatigued. Um, definitely back pain. Absolutely brain fog. If I don't take a break and somebody at, calls me or asks me a question after a full day of work, I'm not even sure I can have a conversation. Um, I will say I'm also maybe not my best me if I'm not taking breaks. I find myself um, maybe a little short when I'm speaking with folks or maybe even a little snippy. I'm just not my best me. Um, I start feeling that burnout much quicker if I'm not taking breaks. And then this funny thing starts happening if I don't take a break is I get mad at myself, right? So I'm 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 my own worst enemy in that respect. So I... I it, there's only benefits for me to taking a break. Thank you. Those are great reminders. Um, and uh, how, okay, so now let's talk a little bit more specifically um, about the work day uh, that an SLP might be um, experiencing. How would you handle um, if, let's say, a school contact schedules a last minute IEP meeting during a scheduled break time? This is something that is not, uh, unfortunately, it's not um, unusual for a telepractitioner to right. experience. Um, just curious how you would handle that. Um, I can tell you how I would have handled it and how I handle it because it because it it's a good comparison. Um, I would take the IEP meeting and I would feel all of the things that I would feeling. I would start feeling anxious. I would start feeling stressed. I would start feeling my heart racing. I do things a little bit differently now. Um, so if there's a last minute change, I do have the luxury in, in my calendar to maybe put my break somewhere else. But if I don't, I will actually t say um, I have, you know, I'm in the, I do have something at that time. I will take it by phone. So I might not be on screen at first. So if I'm out taking my 10 to 15 minute walk and it's an IP last minute IP meeting, I'll take it by phone. And when I get home, and again, it's only, you know, maybe that day it's a five minute to 10 minute walk. And then I'll hop on screen. Um, the other thing I'll do is if I'm at an IEP meeting on screen and I'm not the one speaking, I'll turn my camera off and I'll do some of the stretches in my chair that we uh, talked about a moment ago. Um, and if and even when I'm with kiddos, just say I'm seeing kiddos back to back to back because that happens. That's a reality, too. I've actually incorporated doing some of those stretches with kiddos. It's to their benefit as well. That is actually a great reminder. Um, there are, I think, some resources for students as well to get up and get active. Absolutely. Uh, we might wanna, I don't know if you have any off the top of your head you want to throw out, and if not, we can come back to that. Yeah, um, I don't have any resources off, off the top of my head, but my, you know, all my OT friends have always taught me about, you know, about, you know, the importance of movement. But movement. even taking, if, particularly if you have a kiddo who's unfocused or inattentive, I'll literally get off my chair and I'll say, let's stretch, let's do jumping jacks, whatever, you know, things like that, whatever it is off the top of my head. Some of them love doing yoga poses. So it's really beneficial to them as well. 
I remember uh, working for someone who um, was also a yoga instructor. This is going back 25 years. <laughs> um, it's more common now, but um, but she was an SLP who was a, also a yoga instructor. And I remember uh, doing animal poses with the, right. with the kiddos. So right. Um, right. I do think you can make it a lot of fun for the kids as well. Um, so I guess continuing on that topic of, um, of the SLPs day, especially if you're a telepractitioner, uh, what do you recommend when, um, a telepractitioner has had a bad day or perhaps they've had a, a negative interaction with a school administrator? What would you do in this scenario? Yeah, it happens to all of us, right? Um, that is actually the most important time to take a break. Uh, and again, it might sound counterintuitive. Um, for me, walking away from a situation like that, uh, taking time to do a guided meditation, this is really a time, if I'm having a bad moment or a bad insurrection, I'll, that's when I'll tend to go outside, literally removing myself from my office. Um, it just helps me, you know, regain my composure. It it helps me um I almost want to like wipe away whatever happened, so to speak. So it, it just helps me separate from that. So I have just a clearer picture of what is going on. Um, it's a it's a great time to do that mindful practice because you're offering yourself some compassion um, and clearing your mind. It's really, to me, it's the most important time to utilize these skills. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know sometimes there's that tendency to be intimidated or, or feel like, you know, we have to sacrifice ourselves, but again, it, it takes, um, a while, but hopefully we can, um, learn to, to take care of ourselves first, because if we don't, then we're not going to be, there's not going to be any of us left to, to take care of the, the students or the clients. Um, exactly. Or in then, a field, so, yeah. And in those really challenging times and we all have them, um, I find that taking that break and returning gives, you know, I, I'm, I can now sort of face whatever that challenge was. I always try to find the lesson in it. Maybe somebody taught, you know, maybe that, that experience taught me how badly I needed to take a break, if that makes any sense. Um, and it really can re it literally recharges me when I, when I move away from a bad situation. Wonderful. Um, so just to talk about a little bit, um, digging into a little bit more practical advice too here, um, again, working in this di digital medium, there are distractions that we have. So um, how do you manage digital distractions and also uh, simultaneously stay focused on, on work while practicing mi mindfulness, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. And this took me years, just so you know, I'm here, I'm going to tell you what my tricks are, and, and it's going to sound as if I, you know, I've been doing this forever. I haven't, <laughs> right? All of my social media is on a timer. So, so I just don't look at, you know, I just don't look at it. All of my notifications are off. I have no notifications um, on my phone, on my computer. They're all off. Um, so I don't have that pinging sound, right? I was feeling pinged at all day long. Um, and that sound that it just caused me stress. It caused me anxiety. So I just took them away. Um, it, I had to refocus because it, it meant that I had to really look at those things. If, I, if 
Um, if I'm being pinged by someone, you know, I need to I need to make sure that I'm always looking at it, but I'm not hearing it. And that really changed for me. So all of my social media is on a timer. It's also on a timer to stop. So um, I only allow myself, I allot myself a certain amount of social media time a day. That was a real challenge, but that is what I do. And just to clarify, when you're saying that your social media is on a timer, is do you mean that you schedule yourself um, time to, to, to look at it or what do you mean by it? It's on a timer. I actually just schedule myself, I schedule if, if I'm, I'll get, let's say Instagram, for example, right? So if I'm looking, right, if I'm between kiddos, whatever it is, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's really an addiction in a kind of funny way, right? So I am, I allow myself up two hours a day, which does, sounds like an enormous amount of time. I can assure you it isn't, right? And at that two hour mark, my timer says you have reached your, you know, time for the day. And I really, the truth is you can undo it. And I, it, I really stick to it. That's a message to Got me. it. Yeah, that's a okay, message so to me. I, yeah, that I've been you on set it yourself on a boundary for yep. that. That's amazing. Um, I can attest to turning off the notifications and how how impactful that's been in my life. Um, I I have done that for about a year, a little over a year now, and not being pinged all the time has made yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can still be accessible without yes. constantly getting notifications, um, 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. And there's this sense of like, we need to respond with immediacy and I'm not sure we do. I mean, I'm sure there are situations in which we do, but there's something about not responding with immediacy, right. That you can do things more mindfully and thoughtfully if you don't, res- you know, respond when the ping happens. Right. I agree. And I think that um, if you set that expectation with whoever the person is that that's pinging you, if it's in a work environment um, and there are rules that kind of everyone is following and expectations, then it's completely manageable. Right. Um, I do agree. I think, you know, um, I, I went years upon year of responding right away and um, started to feel the toll of that uh, physically yeah. as well as mentally. Yeah. So I'll Thank also you tell that. you something that um, was a big leap for me. It was just a big leap for me. I do not have any work-related apps or emails on my phone. That was a huge, wow. I know, a huge leap for me. And I will tell you, it has not seemed to have impacted me in, or, or really not me, anyone that I work with in any way, shape, or form. So you keep your work apps on a particular device, on just your computer, yep. and that's it. That's it. That's interesting. That is interesting. That was, I will say that was, that's about 15 months now for me. And I, it was really a test. Like, am I going to be responding too late? Am I going to miss something? And apparently I'm not, right? Hmm. The, the world hasn't crashed or burned because I haven't responded to whatever notification, text email, whatever it is. So that was a big one for me. Hmm, that is a very good one. Um, curious, what are some signs that uh, we should look out for, whether it's, you know, physical, mental, spiritual, what are some of those signs that we should look out for that it's time to practice some mindfulness? It's a great question. So um, the physical piece is 
you can really feel like you can feel your body tense if you're stressed. Um, you can feel your heart racing. So those are the physical things. Those those are the one. Those were definitely ones for me. Um, inability and focusing. I I really was um, making lists over and over and over again, and never getting anything off the list. If that makes any sense. Like I would think that the list was organizing me, but that's all I was doing, and I wasn't getting past that. So just very inattentive and and really struggling to focus. Um, and for me. Again, a sense of of uh, self annoyance, and and I I have such a disdain for when I do it for myself. See, I'm not being all that my compassion to myself when that ekes out to somebody else. It 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 it's very upsetting to me. So those those are my telltale signs that it's time to take a break. It's time to practice whatever your practices may be. That's the time. That's right. And it could look a little bit different for somebody else. But I think, you know, I, over time, probably people will recognize that. Right. And and I'm also assuming that as people do this more regularly, it kind of resets you. So yes. don't, I would assume just like with anything else, whether it's physical exercise or um, healthy, you know, nutritional eating, you don't want to, you know, do a whole ton of mindfulness for a per- particular time and then not do it for a while. I, I don't think it's as beneficial. It's more of a regular practice, correct? It is. And it actually better serves you if you do it a minute a day and, you know, and then build that up to the next week, do the five minutes each day and then 10 minutes. And before long, you're doing it, you know, 30 minutes a day. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's really, really important. I think to note, um, also curious about specific environmental adjustments that you um, you make to create a more mindful workspace, because I know we all have our setup, right? right and right. Uh, you did mention about not having the apps on the phone. I think that that's wonderful. Um, but just curious if there's any other way that you might customize your digital workspace to support a mindful and more focused work environment, as well as the physical space that you work in from home. Yeah. So for me, it's the physical, it's my physical space. So, um, I love my office. It's painted in a color that uh, it makes me feel like I'm in the ocean. If you know, if you know me, that's my favorite place to be. Um, so I do love my physical space, but when I leave it, I turn off the heat. I do everything possible so that I don't go back in it that, and I know that sounds severe. I, I hope that I hope not everybody has to be quite as um, build as thick boundaries as I do, but sadly I do. Um, and I really recognize that I just do. Um, so instead of struggling with myself over that or being annoyed at myself, I just accepted it and tried to figure out what are some of those things. So I turn the heat off in my office. Um, I close the door to my office and I don't go back in. Literally, I, you know, if I left something in here, I might actually ask somebody else to get it because I might, I know myself, I'm going to go and look at my email or whatever the case may be. So some of those are some of the things that I do. Again, I have no, you know, no apps on my phone. Um, in terms of I, what I've also created is a space that is away from my desk with a, um, a bolster. I have blocks, I have a blanket. So I have some of those props that are beside me that, um, are also reminders and a place that it's it's also it's super comfy, right? So it's an it's an it's very inviting to want to take a break. 
And just curious, um, during non-work hours, do you interact with screens at all or do you have to like completely separate yourself? Um, the answer is a little bit, it depends. Um, for me, I try very hard uh, not to have screen time after uh, after a work day. Um, you know, there's always exceptions to that rule, but um, I, I try very, very hard. So if someone says... We're gonna have a meeting and it's gonna be on Zoom. I'll I'll be reluctant to do it. Um, again, there's a, I try not to be. That's probably a place where I'm not as stringent. Um, so there are exceptions to it, but I try very hard not to have screen time, which is which is it's really good for your health, for your eyes, for your for your mind, all of those things. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. And um, I know we mentioned some uh, resources along the way. If somebody wants to learn more about what you're studying, um, what what is the resource one more time in case they want to look into it? Yeah, it's called the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Um, and again, or you can Google that or Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, and Chris Germer, G-E-R-M-E-R. Both of them do amazing um guided meditations they're they're just tremendous um so those are some really great uh it's a really great center and i'm excited to that i'm going to be um i'm continuing my studies along the way and we wish you uh all the best in that journey um also wanted to just kind of cover a couple of things so does anybody have if anybody has any questions please do put it in the chat at this time cuz we're getting pretty close to that uh, time where we're going to be able to ask uh, Gila some additional questions. Um, I was curious, uh, you mentioned some props that um, I think you you mentioned it in the light of when you separate yourself um, outside of your workspace, but just curious about props or tools that other than apps or anything outside of what we've already talked about, are there any other kinds of props that you think would be useful to somebody who wants to begin this uh, as a practice? The most, com- yes, I would. The most important thing is to find something that works for you as a comfortable place to either sit or lie down. So that can be, believe it or not, the first thing that I tried, laugh as you will, was a dog bed because it was here. Yeah, I have dog beds all over my house. I have two gigantic dogs. Um, I'm a little person. And so I use that as a prop, believe it or not. Um, And then when I was a little bit more um, married to my practice, if you will, I, you know, I got a bolster, but you could have a pillow. I actually use the word nest. Set up like a nest for yourself where you're, where you're comfortable. That could be a a blanket, a folded up blanket. It could be a pillow. It could be a couch pillow. You don't have to go, you know, spend lots of money on these things. It re- it's really all available. A really, a really cushy towel, like, you know, that's kind of thick is a great thing. So those are all things. Things that provide su- physical support for you, um, but are also sort of comfortable for you and offer you comfort. Those are wonderful. Thank you. And what advice do you have for someone that is just beginning on this journey? Um, any advice? I mean, we talked about the 21 days, which I think is fabulous. I learned something. I learned a lot from you today. Um, but just, you know, I know how hard it is when people are starting something new um, and it's not practical or, you know, 
just like with anything, when we're trying to instill new habits, um, sometimes it doesn't work out and we are hard on ourselves, ironically. So what what would you say to somebody who's just starting out? Um, to be patient with yourself and to start small in small bites. If you do, so even on those apps, so for example, Insight Timer, um, you can find, you know, a 30 second meditation, a one minute meditation, start small. Don't start with the 20 minute meditations. Truly start small, um, take small bites um, and find what works for you. What works for me may very well not work for you. So the kinds of mindfulness um, meditations that I do may not be your thing. There's no shortage of, of, thing, of uh, meditations to find. Um, you know, there might be someone whose voice is is irritating to you if it's a guided meditation. So find something that really works for you. Um, and then what I did was I actually stuck with the same meditation that whether it was one minute, two minutes, and then I went to another one. Like I stuck with it for the for a week. Um, there was one that I loved that I often go back to. And so I like make sure that I make it a favorite. But start small so that you'll have success. Just as you would, you know, when you think about what we do, if you're writing an IEP goal, you don't start at 80% accuracy, right? That's where you want to end, right? So that start is true. Right. So think of it as a short-term objective for yourself. Start small so that you have a level of success. Um, be kind to yourself. We're just not kind enough to ourselves, right? We offer so much kindness to other people. Be be kind to you too. Um, and and build upon it. And I would also say there's gonna be a day. So two days ago, the day got away from me. And I didn't do any, I didn't pra- do any of my practices, and I made a decision not to beat myself up over it. That tomorrow is another day. So that's what I would say. Start over tomorrow is another day. I love that. Um, I also, uh, you're motivating me because, uh, one of my gifts, um, that I've received recently was a headband that has the ability to, um, I can listen to podcasts or apps through that headband. And the, the gimmick is that you can lie down, um, and listen to this, you know, and it's, it's more comfortable. So you've motivated me because that could potentially be a tool that I use, um, for, guided meditation or for apps. So I will I love that. Break it out and start um look, looking into how to connect it uh to my phone. Um all right, so it looks like we don't have any questions. Um any uh, other things that you would like to add before we wrap up here? Um my other suggestion is and again this worked for me is what really made a difference in in being able to take these kind of breaks was to put it on my calendar. So when I think about and and really making it like a sacred time. So when I think about times that I had to do something, you know, bring my kids to school, my own kids or pick them up or if I had an appointment, it's that important. Right? You wouldn't say not going to pick my kids up today, right? So it's that important. You are that important. You should be that important to yourself. So make the time for yourself. That's right. That's right. And um, and I think you can do it in a in a manner that um, respects your privacy too, uh, without oh. having to advertise it to everybody that you're working with for sure. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Gila Cohen Shaw. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. 
We truly appreciate the research, education, and expertise you provided about um, the subject of mindfulness and self-care for telepractitioners. I know I learned a lot today from you. And I think before I mention the um, the topic uh, next episode, um, I uh, was trying to think of a few other things that we could probably offer our um, listeners here. Let's see. Um, one of the questions that came up that I don't think we quite answered was, um, in my mind anyway, uh, I, re- I recognized that during the guided meditation, you gave us the option to, um, breathe through either the nostril or the oral cavity. Mm-hmm. And I've heard different things about that or read different things about that because some, I think, uh, some folks are really um, set on doing it through the nostril, and, and I believe there's even a term for that. Um, I did want to ask you what um, what your thoughts are on that or what your knowledge is based on that, because I know you were giving us that option, but that did come up during that time. I was right. curious. So my preference is called ujjayi, ujjayi breath is through your nose, right? Um, and that is my preference. I find it... Uh, really focuses me because it's not typical. It's not the the typical way in which I breathe, if that makes any sense. So um, typically we breathe, we um, breathe through your nose and out through your, out through your mouth. And there is certainly value for that, particularly if you're in a high stress situation, take a breath through your nose and let it out through your mouth. Um, But if you're really meditating, breathing in through your nose and out through your nose, is just keeps you more, it's sort of like you encapsulate the breath. So you're really, really, really focusing on it. Um, I, you know, I'm a person of you do you, I'm never going to tell someone this is the way you need to breathe. So that's why I offer everybody choices, but that is the reason for it. That's interesting. Yeah. And um, I've also heard of something called the dragon breath too. Is that something that you incorporate, or do you know much about that? Or is I that do know about it. It it's um that's a very energizing breath, um, and I'm a pretty energetic person, so I actually need not to do dragon breath. I need to sort of do a breathing to sort of lower my volume, not make it higher. So if you're, I would say, if you're feeling very low energy, very fatigued, uh, something called a dragon breath or a lion breath, which you breathe all the way in and like 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 that, is a very energizing breath. Um, I'm, I'm someone who needs non-energizing breaths, but you know, everybody's yeah. different. Yeah. That makes sense because it sounds like the breath breath work is also helping folks self-regulate. So some of us For are sure. more wired and we need to calm down and other, others of us might need to right. pick me up. And I, that makes a lot of sense to me. So thank you right. for actually explaining that. Um, and it looks like we do have one more question. Um, is there a seating cushion or, and, or yoga, yoga ball, you know, I guess those types of tools that are specific to yoga that you might recommend. And Again, if it's not is, a brand yeah. name, it's, it's more like if you want to describe the different types that might be out there, cause I've seen, I don't think this is a yoga mat, but there's ones that are a little more textured. Yeah. Um, and I just was curious about all of that. So. so just like anything else, it's a matter of choice. Uh, for yoga mats, I like um, like them, I want to say tacky. So I'm sort of sticking to it a little bit, right? So I'm not sliding. 
um, there are no shortage of yoga mats on the market, right? So, you, the, you know, it's really a matter of the texture that you like. I am texture sensitive, so that's why I like that tacky feeling. Um, I like a thinner bolster. There are thick bolsters. There are round bolsters. There are short bolsters. Again, the, the you know, the market for these is tremendous. Um, I like a thinner, cushier one. I, I have folks who sit on a block. That would not be something that I would want to do. That doesn't feel cozy to me, and they love it. So find what works for you, but there are lots of different options. Yes, there's definitely no shortage of choices out there, which makes it kind of hard, actually. But it's it's good to know that there's differences, um, and we do have those choices. So, um, again, thank you so much for all of the, the wisdom today. Um, again, as a reminder, if your state license requires live seat use, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. So be sure to complete all of that today. And also please join us for our next episode in this series, which, which will air currently in two weeks live. However, it will be on demand as well. But our next episode is episode eight where I will be speaking with Kelly Paul about the topic of platform considerations for effective telepractice service delivery. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile, Prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.